The Walks Around Britain podcast is sponsored by Travel, the world leader for vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Visit travel.co.uk to check out the product range for the car you drive. On the 29th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we visit the 2020 Caravan and Motorhome Show and we discover more about the fascinating island of Ogdeny and what it has in store for walkers. Hello and you're very welcome to the 29th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast. I'm Andrew White and I'm your walking guide for the next 30 minutes or so of outdoor and walking chat. And welcome to a new season of the podcast, which comes to you just as the UK begins to lift more of the lockdown imposed in light of the coronavirus epidemic. We were fortunate here in the UK to still be able to get out for a daily walk. But at the moment, there's a number of people who seemingly are acting as if everything is back to the way it was, with scenes of crowded beaches, many people visiting popular beauty spots and some horrendous parking in the Lake District especially. Hopefully this is just a flash-in-the-pan style release and a more common-sense approach will take over. The lockdown in the UK came just as we were planning to start a new season of the podcast. We'd been planning to go all across the country visiting places and talking to people in the flesh, but obviously we've had to put that on hold for a little while. But never fear, we'll still be bringing you interesting features about walking and the great outdoors, not just in the way we were hoping. Don't forget, as ever, you can get in touch with us to suggest something we should be talking about. We're at Walks Britain on Twitter, Walks Britain on Facebook and Instagram, and you can always email podcast at walksaroundbritain.co.uk is the address. So when we were planning the new season of the podcast, we'd intended to get out places and record interviews with people. Unfortunately, we had a few pieces able to be recorded before most of the world had heard of COVID-19. In January 2020, I was at the Caravan and Motorhome Show in Manchester, giving a talk about Walks Around Britain. And whilst I was there, I interviewed a few of the more interesting exhibitors. My name is Kevin Fawkes, General Manager of SwiftGo. Kevin, tell us about SwiftGo. What is it? SwiftGo is a motorhome rental company, uh, which is a subsidiary of Swift, the manufacturer. They are based in Hull. They have a 110 acre site over in Hull and manufacture about two and a half motorhomes a year, but also uh, manufacture touring caravans and holiday homes as well. The UK's leading manufacturer of recreational vehicles. SwiftGo is um, obviously there's a try before you buy contingent that before they part with whatever amount of money it might be, they'd like to have a taster session in a motorhome. So we facilitate that, and it's just a minimum of three nights higher that we require and that's throughout the year as well so even in the busy summer period it's just a minimum of three nights uh, you can however obviously hire for longer periods and take the vehicle further afield into mainland Europe if that's what you want to do we have three depots at the moment uh, one is in South Manchester one is in Edinburgh we're due to open in London Heathrow uh, each of those depots we have a fleet of around 40 50 vehicles you can leave your car in our secure compound there and then on your way, on your journey, etc. Included in our proposition, what we tried to do is an all-in price. So 
The rate that's advertised on the website includes unlimited mileage for up to three named drivers. You get all your bedding and towels included, you get sat-nav, there's Wi-Fi on board. It's a little depressing in some ways when you're trying to escape from everything <laughs> and tour around sort of more rural parts of Britain. But obviously there is a need for some people, and yeah. perhaps kids in particular, to yes, stay yeah. connected. So we offer Wi-Fi. You get camping furniture as well. When you book with us within the confirmation email that you get, a link through to get a temporary membership with the Caravan and Motorhome Club as well. So there are 2,000 plus sites around the UK that you can then stay on. And we have a range of motorhomes basically to choose from. So it can be the more coach-built style, which is the traditional looking to the motorhome, yeah. through to your camper van conversion, which is slightly narrower and maybe more conducive to driving the, the narrow roads of Scotland where there are passing places, etc. And the camper van conversions that are built on van chassis, they offer something different too. Well, they're amazing what they do with, I mean, they, what we... Ours is a Fiat Nakato yeah. um, in terms of the shell, and then they obviously put windows in it and make a habitation area, which includes a fully equipped kitchen and uh, a bathroom area. But what they do with the space is, is phenomenal, given the restrictions of it is a van, essentially. Mm. Uh, so, so, yeah, the quality is, is great. But the great thing also is that they drive great as well, don't they? Yeah, I mean, all, all of our motorhomes and, and camper vans are on a 2.3-litre diesel engine, uh, 130 horsepower, so they've got a bit of pulling power. The, the camper vans drive a little bit more like a, a car, I guess. Yeah. But equally, the motorhomes are not sluggish in any, in any sense, so, yeah, it's great. So the variety of vans that you have to offer at these sites, what, talk us through those. Uh, well, it goes from anything from a two-berth, and the shortest motorhome we do is 5.88 metres in length, which is... Only about a metre longer than your average estate car, yes. really. So we get a lot of people who are perhaps first-timers, a little bit insecure about the driving experience and particularly the width of the vehicle. Uh, so they maybe start off with something small and then build up to, to bigger models if that's what they choose to do. Equally, we have a lot of families in the summer holidays that come and they like the, the convenience of the drop-down bed, which comes down over the yeah. lounge at the front in the five berths. So bags of space. You get some models that have got more storage than others as well. So uh, the Escape 684, for example, has got raised beds at the back, which gives way to a huge cavernous sort of garage underneath where you can store bikes and even if it's just decluttering your living space and putting coats and boots in there so there's a huge variety of layouts and uh, and models available. If we wanted to find out more information where do we get that from? Yeah you can visit the SwiftGo website so it's swiftgo.co.uk or you can give us a call on uh, 0333 247 2222 and then select whichever depot it is you want to speak to but we're more than happy to uh, also invite people down to the depots if they live local to the depots because obviously you can you can look at images online and floor plans online but there's, there's no substitute for actually stepping inside a vehicle and you know you get a better feel for the space and what's what, which one suits you best for your requirements and your holiday my name is martin hunt i'm one of the product managers at ramblers walking holidays ramblers walking holidays is a non-for-profit organization all of our profits once thing we need to do goes to our ramblers holidays charitable trust which then is devised over lots of charities within the uk to help aid people for pass open keeping clubs running things like that and we use our holidays to make that money why is it different to the ramblers the Ramblers, the Ramblers Association is, the, is a national and regional club-based entity. What we do is we're, we were born from the Ramblers Association and now we go out and we, um, we use our holidays to raise funds. Tell us about what sort of places we can go, because obviously you're offering holidays in, in the UK, first of all. Yeah, so uh, we operate all around the world. Um, so in the UK, we offer all sorts of places. We do one week, one centre-based holidays. We do holidays where you could go and, say, walk the coast to coast. We sell that in sort of two separate sections. So you don't have to be able to give up the entire two weeks, first of all. You know, you can come do a week with us and then do the second section another time. We do Wales. We've got a little bit in Scotland, but we've got, like, Northumberland. 
all over the UK, really. How does a walking holiday work? When you book, what do you get given? Because obviously, yeah. you can do these sorts of things without having to book a holiday, can't you? Of course, of course. You know, our main unique selling point is actually is the, is the group aspect. You know, what our holidays do is they take the stress of, especially navigating. Some people's navigation isn't as strong. So, you know, the brilliant thing is all you've got to do is you join a group of like-minded people that have, uh, first of all, got two key interests. And that is the destination you're going to, and um, being part of a group, the walking itself. Oh, sorry, that's three. Um, and you know, so basically, the nitty is you'd call, you decide which holiday you want to go on, you book, and then really, once you're on a holiday, um, our leader takes that stress and navigation so you can concentrate more on putting one foot in front of the other, actually seeing, taking your pictures, and enjoying the destination more. And like I say, it's the whole, the whole group aspect is is what we're about. You know, you know, you can find yourself chatting with all sorts of fantastic people from all sorts of different walks of life. And they're just great, great fun as well. So you said also about around the world. So what, what kind of destinations are we looking at there? Really, it's, it's easier to say where we don't go than where we do. Uh, so we operate in 62 different countries. So that's a, from a mixture of UK, uh, short haul, so lots of Europe, you know, and then into, into long haul as well. So that Africa, Oman, and short haul, you can do Croatia. The Canaries are a very unforgotten area as to where to go. Um, everyone thinks they're all sun, sea and beaches, but actually they've got a whole wealth of walking to them as well. And you cover the whole of that holiday experience then, do you? Yeah, literally, literally our packages are from basically flights from anywhere in the UK through to all your transfers, your accommodation, meals largely. You know, once you're on a holiday, all you've actually really got to think about spending is anything you do outside of the programme that we operate and uh, your lunches and lunches and drinks really, that's about the whole host of it. So really, if you're looking for a complete package, it's, it's the way to go forward, really. Absolutely. We can take care of absolutely everything. Yeah. And where do you find more information, then? More information? We've got a brilliant new website that we've just launched, um, including blogs, where you can see you know, all about the destinations. We've got the, we've got the website. Or also, yeah, give our reservations team a call you know, and have a chat with them. They're all like-minded human beings. Enjoy a nice conversation, and, uh, and we'll make sure we find the right holiday for you. Of course, it might be some time now before people are able to jet off to different parts of the world for a walking holiday, which means staying a lot closer to home for most of us. But one of the places which is inside the common travel area, and therefore should be able to get to easily, is the island of Guernsey. Rachel Marsh from Visit Guernsey told me more about the island. Guernsey, it's part of the Channel Islands, so it's situated between England and France, um, so around 70 miles from England and um, much closer to France, so only 30 miles um, from there. Guernsey, it's Bailiwick, so it's got other islands as part of it as well, so there's smaller sister islands of Herm, Sark and Alderney. And it's absolutely amazing for walking and for wildlife and for outdoor activities. So, um, yeah. so it's kind of compact, isn't it? Definitely, but there's yes. there's plenty to go up from a walking perspective. Yes, and everywhere in the island is very easy to get to. So you can base yourself in one place. And then there's a fantastic bus system. So you can get the bus to where you want to begin walking, do your walk, and then at the end get the bus back to your hotel so um, the islands it's 26 square miles um, but it's got lots of different paths around and different areas for walking just give us a flavor of the coast what, what kind of coast can you expect so the south coast it's a lot it's a lot of cliff paths um, so very much up and down but it's got absolutely stunning views down to the bays. So the south coast cliff paths, you can actually access it from the main town 
and some of the walks are more challenging but then you've also got some which are a bit of an introduction to cliff walking as well so we've got one which starts off in St Peterport and goes along to Fermain Bay which is a lovely little bay and there's a little cafe at the end so you can stop off have a bite to eat but it takes around half an hour to walk there and then another half an hour back so it is quite up and down but it's, it's definitely a good start to cliff walking if you haven't really done such a thing. And if you're interested in your history and heritage this is a place to go. Absolutely yes so dotted around the island you've got a lot of fortifications. The islands were occupied during the second world war so as you go along you will see a lot of remnants of that so you will see bunkers and also as well as that you will see um, loophole towers so during the Napoleonic Wars the islands were also fortified just in case of French invasion so you will see all the way around the island and um, along the way as well you can stop off and learn a little bit about these. And there's various different ways of getting to the island from the UK. There is. So you can fly from various regional airports. Um, So flights take from as little as half an hour. And you can also um, take a ferry. So the ferries go from Paul and take around three hours. There's also a slow ferry from Portsmouth, which um, is an overnight ferry as well. And if you want to find out more about walking on Guernsey, where can we go? Um, so you can go to visitguernsey.com. Uh, we've got a number of self-guided walking trails which you can download on the website and um, take along with you and learn more about it. The Walks Around Britain podcast is brought to you by Travel the world-leading manufacturer and retailer of vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats, and more. Adding travel products enables you to get out and enjoy walking adventures with friends, family, and dogs, so that everybody enjoys the journey. Travel offers the best-fit guarantee of any brand when purchasing direct through their website, or your money back. Visit travel.co.uk to see the product range available for the car you drive. That last interview about Guernsey reminded me that we'd got an interview in the can from when I visited the smaller island of Alderney to film a few years ago. So I dipped into the library and found it out. The two walks we filmed on Alderney are in seasons three and season five, and my walking companion on those walks was Martin Batt, who at the time was on the island as part of an initiative called Alderney Living Islands, and with whom I spent a fascinating time learning more about this tiny but wonderful island and its history. Alderney is the third largest of the Channel Islands and probably the least known. It seems that everyone's heard of Jersey and Guernsey and they can conjure up an image of what that would be like. They, they think of the beaches and the, the nicely painted houses and the, the banks and... Uh, on Sark, they know about Sark, they know there's no cars quite often. That, that seems to be a big part of their brand. And Herm is famous for its, uh, its beaches and, and it's tiny. But Alderney doesn't seem to have a brand image at all. In fact, when uh, friends and colleagues in Yorkshire heard I was coming here, they told me to bring some nice warm clothes because they thought I was coming to <laughs> Scotland. So it really has very little brand awareness in in Britain and and that's my main job, is to build up that image of a place of being just incredible for wildlife, much more wild space 
than any of the other Channel Islands and as a result therefore a very interesting place to go for a walk. So as we can hear at the moment, you can fly to the island, can't you? Is that the best way to get here? Flying is just about the only practical way to get here as, as a visitor on a, on a short walking tour. There are direct flights from Southampton and then flights via Guernsey from many other airports in the UK, including Manchester, East Midlands, Bristol, Gatwick and so on. But you have to do a short stop over in Guernsey and then a, a ten-minute hop over if the wind's in the right direction from Guernsey and that's a very exciting way to get here because it's a very small plane at the moment it's only 14 seats but just about to be replaced with a slightly larger plane with 19 seats and it even has the luxury of an aisle down between the seats Um, (laughs) but that's that's an experience in itself it is. I mean, you, get, you never fly above about 5,000 feet if you're coming from Southampton, and it's much lower than that from Guernsey. So you can look down on gannets and seabirds, and if you're lucky, you might see a pod of dolphins or something like that underneath you. So really exciting and not normal forms of air travel. And I think because the, the whole place is so relaxed, that feeds through into the security checks and everything. They're taken seriously, but it doesn't feel like the, the massive uh, operation that you get in European airports these days. There's no retina scans or anything like that, is it? Nothing like that, no. When we're talking about the amount of wildlife on the island, why does it have such a rich biodiversity? Well, Alderney sits in an area that is between climate zones, so between the sort of northern temperate climate zone and the Mediterranean, much drier zone. And as an island, it will have, naturally, will have lots of visiting seabirds or migrants which will bring seeds in on their feet or in their, in their guts. But also, over the years, it's had a, a very transient population of visitors, ships visiting, people coming to live here for short periods, bringing plants. So what we've ended up with is an absolute cornucopia of, of plants. You know, well over 900 species of flowering plants have been recorded, and uh, by some counts it's taken over 1,000 different flowering plants. Wow. So that biodiversity is about ten times what you'd find in the equivalent area in any other part of the British Isles. It's really stunning, a range of, range of plants. So what species are native to Alderney and only found here? Oh, there are a few special things, uh, like the white-toothed shrew is unique to Alderney. The, the blonde hedgehog, I think you can find blonde colour patterns in some hedgehog populations, but here we have a very large number of blonde-coloured pale hedgehogs, and they're not albino, they just like the human population. There are blondes and there are redheads and there are dark-headed people. Um, we have blonde hedgehogs, and they're, they're very exciting to see and, and very easy to see at certain times of, uh, in, in darkness, unfortunately, usually. But they waddle around people's gardens, and people are very proud of them and look after them. <laughs> so tell me about the walking on the island, then, because it's not a very big island. Is there a lot of walking to be done here? There's an enormous amount of of footpaths, probably well over 30 kilometres of footpaths. There's a round island walk that's about 10 miles. Very hard to do in a whole... You could do it in a day, but you'd miss a lot if you just kept your head down and walked. Most people like to take it in at least two or three stages. Then there's a lot of cross-island paths, and and there's various levels of paths around the coast, so you can take a sort of inner coastal path and an outer one that's a bit more challenging. And you've got lots of little loops off the main path that take you down to interesting views of the cliffs or beaches so the the, what's great is the variety of habitats and so we're sitting here looking over a fairly rocky piece of coast and that's fairly common around but you'll also find dune-backed beaches you'll find really high cliffs you know 300 feet high cliffs with rocky islets to look at 
and um, it's just the, the variety of different feels about, about each habitat that you can get in such a small area of three miles by one and a half. So it's, it's just amazingly small. It's absolutely stuffed full of wildlife in the form of huge biodiversity of flowers, fantastic seabirds, incredible migrant birds, and, and also some amazing Victorian forts and German bunkers. It's just a historical paradise really. We even go right back to Neolithic times where we have some evidence of people living on what would have been a hilltop right through to the Roman period where we have probably the best preserved small Roman fort in the whole British Isles um, and that's only recently been confirmed as a, a Roman fort so it's really exciting and it just sits off uh, the tip of Normandy. We're only about eight miles off the Normandy coast. So the thing is from a, a direction point of view all you do is just start walking. You can walk in any direction and you will find your way back to the start because it, it's a cir- circuit and uh, if you go wrong for more than about uh, 20 minutes in any direction you'll find the sea and, and find, <laughs> find your bearings again. <laughs> so if you're coming to the island to stay then, what, what sort of amenities can we expect? You can expect all the normal amenities of a holiday destination. We have slightly more pubs than the average area of three miles by one and a half. I think last count there was 12. They might, <laughs> so, not, might not all be open at the same time. Some of them so will, a good choice there? A good choice, yeah. We have lots of very high-quality restaurants of all types. You it's know. a nice Thai restaurant as well. What I'm told is the, the best Indian restaurant in the Channel Islands. I haven't experienced the others, but I know our one is excellent. And then we have the sort of traditional pub food, but gourmet pub food as well. We have really excellent fish and chips for walkers there's a great little cafe in a caravan down on the on the harbour that does fantastic bacon butties which are very important i know in any walker's uh, diet and great cups of tea and coffee there's a superb little bistro brasserie in in the main street that they actually source their own coffee and that i've never had wow. such a good cup of coffee as that a wonderful hotel on Bray Beach, which does really good food if you want to pay a bit more. Seafood restaurants, of course, because we're surrounded by some of the richest seas in the Channel. Well known for things like bass and turbot, which is a, a speciality of, of Alderney on the outer reefs. So it, there's a good selection, and uh, I, I've been here nine months and I haven't tried them all yet. So something to work up to. Absolutely, yeah. So tell me about the history then. We're sitting at this fort. You mentioned that there's quite a few forts, and obviously... The Germans did pass this way. They did. So if we, we're going back to the 18th century, that, that probably the heyday of, of Alderney and, and the, at the peak of its prosperity, it was a small farming community. And then certain large families came over from Guernsey to govern it. And they were aware that they could get a licence to run their own ship as a privateer. And they encouraged other islanders to invest in the ship and they got themselves a 20-gun frigate and proceeded to terrorise the French shipping lanes on the way into Cherbourg and Le Havre and so on. And quite legally, in terms of what the UK government felt, they were able to plunder those ships and sell the proceeds and got themselves some very nice houses. And the population as a whole benefited from that because of all the services they needed to provide to these uh, rich people. And the Royal Navy was very happy too because it extended their reach without any cost to them. But that all died out. The, the British government suddenly went cold on the idea in about 1820 and the licence was withdrawn. The big family went back to Guernsey and the island went through probably the most difficult period of its, of its life. But that only lasted about 20 years because in about 1840 there was revolution in France and uh, Napoleon III came to what was uh, then the reconstituted crown of France 
and he started flexing his muscles and with a name like Napoleon he got the British government again very worried. Bit of heckles up there, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely, yes. And so they decided France was fortifying Cherbourg to a greater extent than was really necessary and they perceived a threat to both Portsmouth and Plymouth, our main naval bases. And of course the Royal Navy was the UK forces. Mm-hmm. We didn't have an air force in those days. It, Royal Navy was everything. So they decided to build this series of 18 forts and a massive breakwater to enclose the entire British home fleet. And it's rumoured that they spent a quarter of the uh, national defence budget on Alderney over 10 years, which is a massive amount of money. For such a small island. Absolutely, and they, they imported three to 4,000 uh, Irish, Scottish and uh, British labourers to come and build them. And as a result, you had to build things like a courthouse and a jail because of all the uh, activity that went on after a few pints. So then the town really expanded and a beautiful large church built by a famous Victorian architect, Sir George Gilbert Scott, the largest church in the Channel Islands. And and some of the prosperity of that period can still be seen in in the houses, the scale of the houses and the the street pattern and so on. It has a lovely sort of mid-Victorian feel to it that has been preserved very well and surrounded by green belts. Were these forts actually ever used? Ironically, they weren't, because even while they were being built, the French became allies of uh, of Britain in the war in Crimea against the Russians. So we were actually we built all these forts against a nation that was helping us fight. I think what happened also was that technology changed, so that the old warships went from these muzzle-loading cannon housed in wooden warships to ironside battleships of much greater scale with breech-loading cannon and then uh, rifle barrels that were much more powerful. And so, in fact, they couldn't fit the fleet inside the harbour anymore and the, the French threat had evaporated and they, they were by 1870 at war with the Germans and that's where you know the, I suppose the root of the um, the First World War and then the Second World War came from that period about 1870. The First World War actually Alderney and the Channel Islands were completely unaffected because all the action happened in uh, northeast France and Belgium and there were small garrisons here but nothing of any importance happened but the Second World War after the Blitzkrieg in 1940 the Germans were on the Cherbourg Peninsula by July 1940 and they could actually be seen from Alderney you know their vehicles and tanks and, and so on big war very scary yes because you could hear the noise of battle clearly yeah. and Cherbourg fell and the islanders uh, petitioned the British government to leave. They were consulted by the governor, who was at that point called the judge, Judge French, and uh, he asked the Home Office if they would provide a ship to take the islanders off. And in fact, within a few weeks, they were given 24 hours' notice, and six small ships turned up in the harbour in Alderney and, and took the population, apart from a very small number, less than 20 people stayed. All the rest had to take what possessions they could fit into one suitcase and were taken off to Weymouth, where then they were dispersed to places like Manchester and Glasgow. And they spent the whole war uh, working in munitions factories or surviving a very, very difficult time. Um, Probably even more difficult was the period when they came back because 
the garrison, the German garrison in Alderney didn't surrender until a week after Berlin. So 8th of May is usually taken as the end of the war, but here it's the 15th of May. They were still fighting here. They were still firing on British ships that went past. Eventually they did surrender, but the island was devastated because it had been bypassed in the the Second World War after the invasion of Normandy in June 1944, and all its supply lines were then cut off. There were occasional Red Cross ships, I think, coming to the island during that period, but essentially the garrison was cut off and they had to eat whatever they could and they, they cut down all the trees. They, most of the fittings and doors and floorboards in the houses were torn up and burnt to keep them warm. So you can imagine the scene mm. when the first group of islanders returned. Some of the Germans were kept here to help clear the 30,000 mines that had been sown on the island and to uh, secure some of the 600 bunkers that had been built. Some of those were trying to be destroyed to see what effect that would have, but they were so, so strong, it made a bigger mm. mess with the explosives, so they were left. So the islanders gradually came back in, in dribs and drabs in, in, in shipfuls and, until homecoming days. I think the first, the first group came on the 15th of December, 1945, and then it, the population continued to grow. So you had... Within a couple of weeks, you had 24 hours to pack everything up, yeah. take everything that you could in a suitcase. You yeah. were living somewhere which was not your home, doing work that you weren't going to be doing. That's right, working in an armaments factory. And then five years later, you came back and found your homeland devastated. Devastated. All the furniture in your house gone and all mixed up into other people's houses so they had to do a sort of uh, reallocation you had to go and claim back what was yours and of course that resulted in all sorts of disputes about whether that was my wardrobe or your wardrobe and uh, you know people it it was a source of great um, great pain I think to a lot of people to to Mm. think that you know some of their stuff was in other people's houses. Well it's it's akin to you know having your house broken into isn't it I mean that that sort of that same feeling of you know lack of security and and your your place of abode has been ransacked hasn't it? Absolutely so they've had to rebuild from that and the only way around it was to get outside help and that's when some of our sovereignty was ceded to Guernsey because to this day Guernsey still provides the police the, the school the um, repairs and maintenance to the breakwater. So major spe- expenditure on the island is largely covered by, by Guernsey, but Alderney is still an independent crown dependency with its own states of Alderney government and it has control over things like uh, tourism and transport and many other aspects of island life. If you wanted to find out more information about coming here for walking holidays, what's the best way to go about that? Well, I'd first of all, for walking, I recommend that you visit the visitalderney.com website because that's very full of information as well. And then don't hesitate to, to contact us either by, via the websites or our email. That's fantastic. Martin, thank you very much. Thank you. The two walks we did on Alderney are in Season 3, Edition 7, The Alderney Forts, and Season 5, Edition 5, Alderney Southwest Coast. And it would be good to think we'll be back on the island sooner rather than later to film some more. Well, that's all for this edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast. As always, you can get in touch with us to suggest something we should be talking about. We're at Walks Britain on Twitter, Walks Britain on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always email at podcast at walksaroundbritain.co.uk. Don't forget you can watch Walks Around Britain on 20 UK TV channels, on Amazon Prime Video, 
on Planet Knowledge, and of course by subscribing to Walks Around Britain Plus, our Netflix for Walking style subscription website. Visit our website for a seven-day free trial. Well, until next time, thanks for listening and happy walking. The Walks Around Britain podcast is sponsored by Travel, the world leader for vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Visit travel.co.uk to check out the product range for the car you drive.